good morning. It's good to see you this morning. That church is Sturkey Hills. Are you glad you're in the house of the Lord? Say amen. Amen. You should be glad. You should be glad. God is good to us. And today it is uh, Labor Day weekend, so I want to say I uh, hope you enjoy your weekend. Hopefully you get a day off tomorrow. But today, before we get to the Labor Day celebration, uh, we're going to talk about uh, arguably one of the most difficult, uh, the most divisive uh, subject matters in all of the Bible, and we're going to trudge right through it. I want to say, as a caveat on the front end, I don't have it all figured out, but I also know this much, you don't either. So we're going to learn what we can and navigate through this the best we can. Now, why is this such a difficult subject? Because we're talking about God, and God's a big subject. And we live in a world, and we have this mind inside of our head that wants to package God in a container and knock off all the edges uh, that we don't understand and think we've got him all figured out so we can put him in a box. Because if we can get him in a box, we stand a better chance of manipulating him and getting him to do what it is we want him to do. That's not God. If you, th- if you have a God you can control, you don't have the right God. If you think you can control God, you think you're God, then that's wrong. And so whether we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit, these are Heavy, heavy subjects. There have been multiple, multiple volumes of books written about God the Father. Multiple books and volumes written about Jesus the Son. Multiple books and volumes written about the Holy Spirit God. And none of them have him, have him figured out either. I, I, I always say this, and this is, my, this is my motto for life, big God, little me. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to pursue and try to understand and and allow the Holy Spirit to help us know the reality of the depth of the character and the nature of God. But all we do is scratch the surface because God is bigger than that. And and I want you to understand that's the position we have and we hold to that. And I'm glad, man, I've got a God like that. I am glad that I've got a God that don't look like you. I'm I'm glad I have a God who doesn't process and think like we do. We've got a God that transcends everything. Everything in existence is, is, uh, only is a, a fingerprint of the depth and the greatness of who God is. And so what we're talking about today and next week is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to be reminded that last week we talked about unity is a big deal. God wants us to be in unity. Because the enemy knows that if he can divide the church, he stands a better chance at conquering it. But he's not going to conquer the church. Because Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so that's who we are. All right, We're on the winning team, okay? But on any given Sunday, you can drive up and down the streets of our area, of our county, and you'll find a little group over here that believe one thing about the Holy Spirit. You'll find a big group over here believe something about the Holy Spirit. You'll, believe, uh, you'll find a group down there, they believe something about the Holy Spirit. A little dead church over there, they think something about the Holy Spirit. Okay, all of us have these different views. And meanwhile, that was not the intention of the church. It was not God's intention when Jesus came and died a brutal death on a cross providing the gospel story. It was not his plan for us to be divided. It was not the Holy Spirit's goal when he came for us to be divided. We're supposed to be in unity, and we saw last week why that is significant. Uh, Jesus said in John 17, he's, he's praying uh, for you. 2,000 years ago, he's praying for you. 
and he's praying for his disciples, and this is what he says. He says, I am not praying only on their behalf, talking about the disciples, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their testimony. That's you. And then he says in verse 21 that they will all be one. Everybody say one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, I pray that they will be in us. And then he tells us why this is a big deal. He says, so that the world will believe that you sent me. You see, we're, we are supposed to be, have a oneness and a unity that's supernatural. That, that when the world looks at the church, they scratch their heads and say, I've never seen people get along like that. I've never seen people so unified and common in their general message to the world um, like the church. They just, they're all headed in the same direction, talking about Jesus, trying to live for Jesus. When they pray, they pray in Jesus' name. It paints a picture so that people, Jesus said, will believe the message. Now, as we finished Acts chapter 1 last week, we found out some things about the inauguration of the church. And we learned about the early church. We learned that the early membership was about 120 people. That's what scripture tells us. And we talked about that Jesus had revealed himself to people alive, resurrected for 40 days and at one time to over 500 people at one time. So he's been doing this for 40 days, 1,000 people or, or more. But only 120 are in the game who gave their life to Jesus as the early church. And we learned last week that we, we got the, we got the, we find the disciples in the field house, about 120 strong. We see what the team roster is, and we find them practicing. And it's, and I'm just going to remind you because this is important. This is what they were doing. They were le- learning to be faithful. They were listening to the coach in prayer, leaning on each other in unity, living according to Scripture. So they were postured in the in the right way for God to do what He wanted to do next, which was send the Holy Spirit. And we, and we learned as Christians, as disciples, followers of Jesus, that we are supposed to be doing the right things. There are disciplines in your life that ought to be in place every day. And we talk about them. You should read your Bible every day. I mean, you've got no excuses. It's on your phone. It's everywhere. You should pray every day. You just pray every day, multiple times. First uh, Thessalonians says that we should pray without ceasing. That means we're always in conversation with God. Uh, we should We should pursue what it is God wants in our life and exercise the gifts that he's given us. We have the fruits of the Spirit in our life, uh, and and, and those should come out. And and so these are disciplines in life where we position ourselves in obedience, in diligence, in faithfulness, in God, so he can use us in a new way according to his purpose and his plan. Now, the encounter that they had was significant. I mean, if you meet a dead man walking, that's pretty significant for you. And it was significant for them because Jesus had been dead three days. He's resurrected, and, and he's walking with them. He's eating with them. He's teaching them. He's loving them. He's pointing them toward the future. It was a significant season in their life. And it's, it's in that moment that the Holy Spirit would come. But I want you to understand something. Our obedience and our faithfulness and our diligence does not dictate what God does next. It wasn't because of their faithfulness and diligence and obedience that the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit was going to come, all right? But the fact that they were postured well meant they received it well. 
And I want you to know today, sometimes we want to manipulate God. We want to, we want to claim things of God that God hadn't claimed himself. And that's wrong. But at the same time, we need to put ourselves in a position every day that God can do something special in our life. He wants to use you in supernatural ways in this world. And often, most of us live in the life in the flesh. And don't get me wrong, we can do great things sometimes in the flesh, even good things and godly things, and things that God will even bless, but they're not supernatural things. They're physical, fleshly things. And I, I truly believe, let me, let me be real, real clear about what we're talking about today. I don't fully understand the Holy Spirit. Hello. You don't fully understand the Holy Spirit. A church down the street doesn't fully understand the Holy Spirit. And we don't understand the Father, and we don't understand Jesus. I will have a little boy or a little girl that will make a profession of faith, and, and I'll get a, a phone call or a text or an email. Hey, Junior is talking about being saved, and I just don't know if they understand. And I get to have this great conversation. You know what? I have a master's degree from a seminary. I have a doctorate from a seminary. I don't understand either. It's childlike faith. And, it, and, it, and it's true about the Holy Spirit. All of the persons of God, the Father, the Son, and Spirit, we have to accept them by faith because we cannot fully understand them. But we can experience them, all three, in our life. And, and so that's what we're talking about, and that's what we're going to learn about today. Now, we're in a transition point in the life of the early church, right? I mean, it's, the early church is, is, is launched right here. You are here as a product of what happened on that day, the day of Pentecost, about 2,000 years ago. That's why we're here. And so between chapter 1 and chapter 2, a lot of things change. In chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is announced. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit arrives. In chapter 1, Jesus ascended to heaven. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends to earth. In chapter 1, the Holy Spirit, uh, in chapter 1, the disciples are expectant. In chapter 2, the disciples are empowered. In chapter 1, the disciples wait in a room. In chapter 2, the disciples witness to the world. I mean, when that page turns from chapter 1 to chapter 2, everything changes. And I want you to know today, in your life, God wants to do things in your life where when the page of today to tomorrow changes, everything changes. You see, he didn't save you for the sole purpose of spending eternity with you in heaven. He saved you just like he saved these first 120 disciples to deploy you in a kingdom agenda. He saved you so you could impact your world for him. And, and we don't do that very well. And there's one reason why. Because often we do it in the flesh rather than being empowered by the Holy Spirit that dynamite power that the Bible talks about in Acts. And so we're going to learn what that looks like. We're going to learn what that doesn't look like. And we're going to learn how that becomes effective in our life. On this day in history, Pentecost 2,000 years ago, the door was open to the whole world to have a relationship with God. Previously in the Old Testament, it was Jewish you, God had a relationship with the Jewish people, and you could become a proselyte Jew and be considered a child of God, but on this day, the door is open and everybody's invited to the party. That's good for you. <laughs> Not many Jews in here, okay? 
we were invited to the party on this day. This is when the door is open for the church to expand its boundaries beyond Israel and the Jewish people to the whole world. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ. There's that word again. All of you are united in Christ. And so the title of the message on the back of your life guide is this, simply the arrival. The arrival. That's what we're going to talk about. The Holy Spirit shows up. Point number one is this expectation of the Holy Spirit's arrival. There's an expectation that something different is, is coming, that someone new is entering the story. In verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, this is what it says. Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, they're all together expecting what's next. Why? Why are they in one place? You'll remember Jesus said, listen, I want you to I want you to wait. Stay in Jerusalem. I want you to go back to your room, to the field house. Go back to the, your gathering place and wait because the Holy Spirit's coming. So they did what Jesus said to do because they expected what Jesus said to do to happen. Why? Because now for the last three years, everything Jesus said, even if it sounded nuts, had happened. I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day. That's a little out there, Jesus. On the third day, he got up. He walked among them. So they're like, it's, it's real. Je Jesus cannot tell us something that is not going to happen. So they knew it was going to happen. So there was an expectation. Now, <clears throat> the expectation, what they didn't know was the, the expectation was going to happen on Pentecost celebration or feast. Now, they knew what Pentecost was. You see, they, they just had Passover. And Passover came from Exodus when, when Moses instructed the people to slay a lamb and to spread the blood with a hyssop over the doorpost so the death angel would pass over, right? So now for about 1,400 years, they've been celebrating the Feast of Passover. Jesus shows up, dies on a cross, and fulfills the Feast of Passover, and so they did know in the back of their mind, they got a feast coming up pretty soon, which is called Pentecost. A Pentecost was the word penta, five, 50 days after uh, the feast, uh, after Passover feast Sunday, 50 days later was Pentecost feast. They knew that was coming, but they didn't know it was going to be a special day. They just knew that it was coming. Now, Jesus had told them, listen, I'm, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament had told them the Holy Spirit is coming. John the Baptist had told them the Holy Spirit is coming. Where did he tell them that? In Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, it says, After all of this, I will pour out my Spirit on all kinds of people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your elderly will have prophetic dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Joel the prophet told them that the Holy Spirit was coming. These guys knew that. They were Jewish. They knew what the prophet said. So they'd been told, they'd been instructed. John the Baptist, when did he tell them? Matthew 3, 11. John the Baptist said this, I baptize you with water 
for repentance. But the one coming after me is more powerful than I am. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John the Baptist told him. Jesus told him multiple times. A couple examples. In John 16, 7, Jesus said, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I am going away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said in John 15, 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, that's what he refers to him as, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He didn't stop there. Jesus got real defined and explicit about when the Holy Spirit was coming. Jesus told them where, what, when, and why the Holy Spirit was coming. And I want you to know something today. Just, just you can count on Scripture. The scripture tells us about our life, what to expect in our life, how to live this life, and it's true. It's always true. It's eternally true because it comes from an eternal God who is nothing but truth. So we can believe this book for living. Uh, just like the, the, the two men dressed in white told the disciples when they were looking up watching Jesus fly off into the sky, scratching themselves, saying, I didn't know he could do that. You know, just like the, those two men dressed in white said, why are you looking up? He's coming back. I want you to know Jesus is coming back. Because the Bible cannot say something that will not, in fact, happen and become a reality because it's given from God. So when did Jesus tell them all the details about the coming of the Holy Spirit? Listen to this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, Jesus, before the ascension, he says, while he was with them, Jesus declared, do not leave Jerusalem. There's the where. And then he goes on, he says, but wait for what my father promised. <laughs> There's the what, for what my father promised, for the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and he says, which you heard about from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He said, when? So we got the where, the, 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 where, the what, the when, we got it. Now, why? Now, we've talked about it. It's the theme verse for the book of Acts. This is why the Holy Spirit came. Everybody say, this is why the Holy Spirit came. Because there's a lot of confusion about what the Holy Spirit's job is and why the Holy Spirit came to start with. And, and, and there's a law, uh, there's a, 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 a thing about studying the Bible. It's called the law of first mention. And when something shows up the first time in the Bible, it's big. And we need to pay close attention. This is the first time the Holy Spirit shows up like this. In verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, here is the why. You will receive power, and we talked about dynamite, dunamis power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witness. That's the why. The Holy Spirit was given to the church so that it would empower them to be witnesses to those in their neighborhood and around the world, okay? And so here's the question. Are you empowered by the Holy Spirit? How do you know? Are you an effective witness? Can you look in your life and say, you know what? I have been able to and privileged and blessed to lead this person and this person and this person and this person to the Lord Jesus. And now their eternal destiny has been changed because the Holy Spirit empowered me and allowed me to share the gospel. And in the church today, the vast majority of people would say an emphatic, no, I do not have that list. That's how we know we've never been empowered. He wants you to be a witness. That's why the Holy Spirit came. Now, now what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? We're going to see that. But I want you to understand, there was an expectation, and I want you to know you should have an expectation for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life if you're born again. 
It shouldn't. Your Christian journey should not be boring. It should not be defeated. It should not be apathetic. You, you should leave church on Sunday, at least this church on Sunday, and leave and say, you know what? I'm so glad God saved me. I mean, God, I am so glad Jesus did the redeeming work in my life. I am so glad that I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. I am so glad that I know the truth. I am so glad that I'm going to heaven when I die because of the finished work of Jesus on a cross. But you know what? There's a whole lot of world out there that hadn't got that message yet. And as long as I've got breath in my lungs, and as long as I'm capable of speaking, I'm going to share this story with the world. And here's how we know that we often are not empowered by the Holy Spirit because we don't do what I just said. Amen? It's the truth. If I said right now, if you want to come back to this church next week, you've got to bring 10 names of people you shared the gospel with. You know what? About 75% of us ain't coming next week. And I might not show up myself, depending on the kind of week I have. The truth is, every day we should share the gospel. The Holy Spirit wants to empower us to share the story of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Why is that so important? And why should that be so important to you? Are you ready? Because you are a product of someone sharing the gospel with you. And it's not, it's not supposed to stop with you. You are a product today of thousands of people who have died literally sharing their faith. You see, in this passage, when it says, I'm going to empower you with the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit so that you will be my witnesses, that word witnesses in the Greek is this word martis, M-A-R-T-Y-S-S. I may have misspelled that. We get our word martyr. It means somebody in the judicial system who will tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, even if it costs them their life. We're supposed to be so bold in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. We're not worried about losing a friend along the way. We're not worried about looking a little Jesus freakish along the way. All we're worried about is being found obedient to the commands of God in being witnesses. And I want you to know, all of us, Look at your neighbor and say, you're supposed to be a witness. Now look at them and just say, pitiful. Just, just Say, just pitiful. And you can look up here and say, just pitiful too, because I fail at it miserably. Okay? I haven't got it all figured out either. And, and so that's why the Holy Spirit came. Now, he told them, he's coming in not many days. So day one, well, that's not many days. That's not one day, but day, it could be day two. Day two came nada. He got nothing. Day three, they're thinking, okay, day th th third day's a big day. That's the day Jesus got up out of the grave. Is it probably going to be on the third day? The third day came and went crickets, <laughs> nothing, no Holy Spirit. Now, they don't even know what they're expecting, right? And so what are they, are they sitting around saying, you, you, you see anything? Have you seen anybody new? Have you heard anything? You got anything? Nothing. Days go by, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven. These are Jews, right? Seven, that's the day of perfection and completion. That's the day he, that God rested from his creation story. I mean, he's coming on the seventh, seventh day, tick-tock, tick-tock, day came and gone, nothing. But on the 10th day, it was Pentecost. On the 10th day, it was 50 days 
after Jesus' resurrection. It was 10 days after Jesus' 40 days walking on this earth and his ascension. It was on the Feast of Pentecost that something happened, something different. Now, what is it that's going to happen? Because he's been telling them, Old Testament, John the Baptist, Jesus, everybody knows he's coming. What's he going to look like? Now, if you're in the room, if you're part of the 120 early church on the roster, you're thinking about what's it going to be like? What's, I mean, Jesus kind of shocked us. He didn't look, we thought we, we were expecting a, you know, some royal something, some military power. He came looking like Jesus and changed the world. That kind of caught us off guard. What's the Holy Spirit going to be? And so Mary's in there, the mother of Jesus, and, and she might suggest, you know, he might come like Gabriel. Because when Gabriel came and told me I was going to give birth to Jesus and I was going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit, I mean, that's pretty big, pretty significant. Yeah, it could be like Gabriel. Or maybe one of the disciples said, what if it's those two white, those two white clothed guys or those two guys clothed in white uh, that told us to stop looking at the sky, that he's coming back? Okay, it could be like that. Or maybe they reach back in history and say, what if it's like Moses? I mean, Moses had an encounter with a burning bush and, and that changed his life forever. Maybe it's like that. They're wondering, they don't know. And I want you to know how the Holy Spirit reveals himself to you. You don't know either. Now we can read the Bible and we can see how the Holy Spirit shows up in the past, but we, we cannot can the Holy Spirit. We cannot write some prescriptive measure for the Holy Spirit. This is exactly how he's gonna show up in our life every time. The problem is most of us are so afraid of the word Holy Spirit, we don't want him to show up. Because he may color outside our lines of comfort and ask us to do something we really don't want to do. And meanwhile, we walk in the flesh and we miss the power. We experience the natural and miss the supernatural. And so I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to experience more. So they were in the right place, doing the right thing, postured for this promise that God had given them. What would it look like? And so... We learned just a few weeks ago, we were introduced to a couple of prepositions. And prepositions kind of refer to action. And here's what we learned. Scripture tells us, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit in John 16, he says, the Holy Spirit is with you. Okay, the Holy Spirit is with you. Here's what I want you to know about the Holy Spirit today. The Holy Spirit came in fullness 2,000 years ago, approximately on the day of Pentecost. He never went home. (laughs) He never went home. He's still here. Listen, never mind, that's the air conditioner. I thought it might have been him. Okay, he's here. He's right here in this room. He's everywhere. He's God in spirit, okay? He's enormous. He's outside the confines of what we can even wrestle down and describe, okay? He's the Holy Spirit God, okay? So Jesus said he's got the Holy Spirit with you. Now, now, what's one of the first things that the Holy Spirit does to people in this world? He invites. You can't be saved unless he, the Holy Spirit woos you. You can't just, you know, say, well, I don't want to get saved today. I felt, man, today I felt like I was supposed to get saved, but I just need to clean myself up. You cannot clean yourself up. That's why Jesus died on a cross. You bring your old nasty, broken down, pitiful self. That's the person you bring to the cross and let Jesus do something with Okay, and, and so, but if you miss that, and, you, and then later you say, well, you know, I, I, you know I'm going to get some things straightened out, and, and maybe when I get a little older and, and I want to get rid of some of this stuff, then I'll give myself to Jesus and get saved. It doesn't work that way. You get saved when the Holy Spirit invites you. 
I know this. When I was a little boy, I'm sitting in a revival. You know my testimony. I sat there all week. I had learning issues. You know, I wasn't listening to the sermon. I don't know his name. I don't know what color of suit or tie he had on. I, I knew how many windows were in the room. I knew how many light bulbs were in the fixtures. I knew how many people had black hair, gray hair, red hair, no hair. I knew all that. I'm counting, okay? But at the end of every night of that revival, he would say this simple phrase, if you died tonight, are you certain you would go to heaven? Because Jesus loves you and he wants to save you. And I would think, why did he say that to me every night? And on the last night, I walked forward and I said, I don't understand much, but you said something that really made me think. I I feel separated from God and I want to be saved. And we prayed and I received Jesus that night. Now, he was real. It was as real as you can possibly be for this little goofy kid. So real that the next day I went to my teacher, Miss Higdon. And Miss Higdon loved me so much. I, I was her pet, okay? Because she knew I was special. She loved special. She loved on me. She loved me so much that when I finished third grade, she moved to the fourth grade so she could have me as a teacher, have me as a student. And, and so I went into school that next day and I said, Miss Higdon, are you a Christian? And she said, I am, Joel. Why'd you ask me that? And I said, because I got saved at church last night, and when I die, I'm going to heaven, and I want you to go too. I don't want you to go to hell. It was real, okay? Now, it was real because the Holy Spirit invited me. And that's what he says. The Holy Spirit's with you. He's right here, man. He, he's here. But on the moment that you're born again, that, for, for this goofy little kid that received, said the sinner's prayer and received Jesus' gift that night, the Holy Spirit came into my life. And Jesus says this. He says, he is with you, and now he's in you. He moves from out there to in here. Now, he, we know as we continue to read in Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he tells us your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Now, now when he comes in here, he's still out there because he's God, right? Sometimes we want to separate the Holy Spirit and put him in a package. Well, he's in here. I thought he was out there. The answer is yes. He's out there. He's in here, okay, if you're saved. And your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so after the resurrection, Jesus in John 20, 22, Scripture says this. Now, now this is the church. And so he's inaugurating what the church looks like. Do you believe I'm the Messiah? And they all, 120, no doubt believe because they had walked away from their world. They stayed in Jerusalem. They're in this room, in this gathering place, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Oh, they believe. They've walked with Jesus for three years. Now they've seen him resurrected for 40 days. It's a big deal, right? And they're in. They're in the camp. Well, before he ascends, Jesus goes to them, and he said this in John 20, 22. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, I believe, I believe this is true. In that moment, they were born again. In that moment, the Holy Spirit that was with them was now in them because Jesus told the Holy Spirit for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, in that moment, it began the process of what the Holy Spirit's gonna do in our life. And in your life, the moment you were saved and born again, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22, it says this, he sealed us. And he gave us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. There's a whole lot of Christians in this world walking around with a down payment. You know what I'm saying? A whole lot of Christian people walking around in this world with a deposit. And that's it. The first deposit to inaugurate your born-again life. And it never developed into anything else And then we wonder 
why we don't feel the victory, why we don't feel the joy, why we don't feel the, the, the vibrancy of a walk with God, why we're not excited every day to go into a lost world and charge hell with a water pistol because we got the answer to the problem well, because we got a deposit and that's all we ever got. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit still out there and the deposit is in here. And the reason often we feel so defeated is because he, he wants the deposit that he's given at your born-again experience. He wants the Holy Spirit in you. Are you ready? To connect with the Holy Spirit that's with you. He wants the power of the God in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who's with you everywhere. He wants the Holy Spirit in you to connect to that, okay? And that's what it looks like. That, that's the best I know of how to explain how you live a spirit-filled life. He gives a deposit and you fill your life with the spirit by connecting the spirit within you to the spirit without you, the spirit out there. And so we now see there's an expectation of something that they don't know. They don't know what it is. Now, what's the evidence then? So he shows up, and, and, and point number two is the evidence of the Holy Spirit's arrival. So the Holy Spirit shows up, what does it look like? I don't know what it looks like every time, but I know exactly, precisely what it looked like the first time. And I believe with everything that's in me, we live in a world that wants to replicate Pentecost. And you know, what's the Holy Spirit to come down? We all speak in tongues, and and, da, 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 and there's fire and wind, and all that's all good, and that's fine. But I don't think that's the case. I think this is what's called an atypical occurrence. In other words, Jesus died on a cross and he did it one time. He will not do that again. That is an atypical occurrence. It happened one time, one time completed the whole thing. It won't happen again. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. That's atypical. That happened one time. It won't happen again. Okay. And I believe Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to this earth, it's a one-time atypical event. Came one time. When he came, he never went back. And sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit coming, the Holy Spirit coming, the Holy Spirit coming. He's already here. What we need to be seeing and saying and, and, and preaching is, Holy Spirit, come alive in me. Holy Spirit, with me, connect with the Holy Spirit in me. Let me, let me get this thing charged up. Let, let me connect the Holy Spirit out there. Let me, let me plug that in to the Holy Spirit in here. All right? Come alive in me. Empower me. Okay? Take this deposit and expand it into something bigger than me. And that only happens when we connect with the Holy Spirit with us and we connect it with the Holy Spirit in us. So the evidence, what it sounds like, verse 2. It says, so in this case, the first time, this is, what it, this is what happened. Suddenly a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. I want you to know it's audible. It was audible the very first time. Probably not audible every time. Could be. I don't know. He's God. He can do what he wants to. I'm not going to say what he can and can't do. But this, in this case, God's going to make it very real. They didn't know what to expect. When he gets there, they're going to know he got there. And so he showed up, and it was like a wind. That's not a wind. Their hair wasn't blowing. The curtains weren't moving. Dust wasn't stirred up. They weren't, what's going on? No, it just it sounded like a wind. What does that sound like? I'm, I don't know. Maybe like a, a 747 when they take off. I don't know. But here's what I know. It filled the room. It got their attention. It was audible enough for them to notice. Now, why did he show up with wind? Because God plans everything out 
He knows what he's doing in every situation, in every day, in eternity. God is not surprised. He's operating a plan. He knows exactly what he's doing. And since the beginning of time, God had identified part of the natures of who he is via through wind. When did he do that? The Genesis, in Genesis, in the creation account, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he says, and the earth was void and without form. And then it says this, the spirit of God began to hover upon the earth. And if you look that phrase up, the spirit of God, in Hebrew, it's called the Ruach Elohim. Elohim is God. The Ruach is the wind. It says the wind or the breath of God began to brood over the earth like a mother hen, just stirring it up, working it in and doing a work. He shows up in the Old Testament as the wind. And then in the New Testament, he never changes. In the New Testament, we read about the word of God. That is, it is the Theonustos. Theo is God. Neustos is spelled with a P-N-E-U, like we get our word pneumonia. Pneumonia, it's the breath of God. The word of God is the breath or the wind of God. And so it's, so it's no surprise that he uses wind to refer to his spirit. Verse three, not only is it, is it audible, it's visual. Verse three says, and tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each of them. Now, it says spreading out like a fire. These guys weren't on fire. This was not Michael Jackson got too close to the fireworks, okay? They're not on fire. They're, they're describing the best they can what the Holy Spirit of God looks like. And in this moment, it was visual. They see these cloven tongues of fire dancing around on all of them, which is interesting. This is not just the apostles. Jesus' mama got it. The ladies who were with him got it. His half-brothers who wouldn't believe he was, he was the Messiah till after he was resurrected, they got it. The whole, whole 120, they got tongues of fire on them, okay? Now they're freaked out. There's a wind that we can hear and we can't feel. Uh, now there's tongues of fire. Some of you have never had a, a, like a, a real um, close revelation of the Holy Spirit. You, you've never experienced the Holy Spirit in a, like a tangible way. It's okay. okay. And I'm not, I'm not claiming any kind of spiritual greatness, anything. But there's been moments in my life, it may have been when I was really hurting, it may have been when I was at a, in a celebration, something great going on in my life, where the Holy Spirit just, he just kind of touched me in a special way. And, and many of you have had that. And if I came to you and said, have you ever had the Holy Spirit like reveal himself to you or touch you in a special way? And, and, and if you said, yeah, I'd say, describe that to me. You'd sound like an idiot. Well, I, I was sitting there. <laughs> Why? Because you can't describe God. He's bigger than the words we have. You know, and, and so that's what, they're trying the best they can. And they're giving it the best they've got. And they're feeling a wind, or, or excuse me, they're hearing a wind they can't feel. And they're seeing tongues of fire that aren't burning anybody. And it's something big is happening in their life. And it's the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And they didn't fabricate it. They didn't, they didn't create some synthetic variety of it. They were just being faithful, diligent, and obedient. And the Holy Spirit showed up looking like that. And I want you to know that today, we can't generate the Holy Spirit. We can't play games at trying to fabricate the Holy Spirit. 
we give ourselves to God and be willing to receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit touches our life. The Holy Spirit on the outside connects with the Holy Spirit on the inside. That's it. And, and we may live our whole life, and it may not look like that much, but if we're willing, that's all we're called to do, and God will use us in powerful ways. Ephesians 1 says this, verse 13, And when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. And so why did he use fire? We know why he used wind. Why did he use fire? In Exodus 3, a burning bush. Exodus 13, they were led by fire at night. Exodus 19 and 24, God descended by fire. Matthew 3, baptized by fire. Hebrews, God is a consuming fire. And so when the Holy Spirit came in this one event, it was not only audible, it was visible. I want you to know it was tangible. It was tangible. Here's what it says in verse 4, the first half. And all of them were filled with with the Holy Spirit, they felt something significant, just like they had heard, just like they had seen something significant. They felt something's going on, and, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, so what does that look like? It looks different to everybody. You know, when I got saved, I, I didn't lay down in the floor and cry. I didn't laugh. I just, I made a decision to, to receive the grace gift of Jesus. And for me, it meant I walked down and tell the preacher and listen to what he said and start telling people about Jesus. Some people, when they respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit, they just, they weep profusely because this burden is lifted. Some people are filled with joy. They just smile. Their whole life just lights up because the burden has been lifted. Some people responding to the Holy Spirit's call is logical. It's like, I believe what you said is true when I read the Bible. I heard that message. I know I'm a sinner. That's a logical decision. I know emphatically I am a sinner. And in this moment, I hear the story of God that Jesus wrapped himself in in skin, came to this earth, died on a cross, rose from the dead, and he did it to forgive my sin. And he's offering it to me. Seems logical to me. I, I will exchange my brokenness for his perfection. And they make a logical decision and they move on. Some people just kind of land in this confused place. I feel the invitation. I respond responded to the, to, the, to the invitation. I've asked Jesus to come in my life, but I don't really know what's next because I haven't been around the church thing. I don't have any preconceived ideas. I want you to know, listen to me, no matter which camp you fall in, if there has been a day in, the, in your life when the Holy Spirit with you has invited you to come in so the Holy Spirit can be planted within you, if you've had that moment, whatever emotions you had, Don't you listen to the enemy. It was the process of God redeeming your forever soul. And it's different for different people because we're all different. We're all different. We respond to things differently. And so there are people, there are people who wonder sometimes, am I truly saved? Let me give you one good indication if you're saved. If you're saved, it means the Holy Spirit lives in you, right? If you're convicted of your sin when you make mistakes as a Christian, and you will, are you convicted of it or or is it no big deal? If you're convicted, that's the Holy Spirit within you convicting you. You're not condemned 
If you're saved, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ. Your condemnation was, was, was given to Jesus on a cross. But if you're convicted, that could be the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you are willing to, if you're anxious about telling people the gospel story, that's the Holy Spirit. So God lets us know. He affirms whether or not we're children of his or not. Now, no matter how the Holy Spirit shows up in your life, I want you to know this is the beautiful part of God. Whether God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit, this is the beautiful thing. They just show up in your life and meet you right where you are. They were in the upper room expecting, and he showed up. And in your life, he meets you right where you are. I was telling somebody yesterday, I'm amazed at how often I get to share my testimony and hear other people's testimony. And just this morning it came up that we all have different lives. We all have different sins in our life, different baggage, different past. We have different DNA strands. We come from different socioeconomic conditions. We come from different educations. And then we meet Jesus. And it's like we enter this big spiritual funnel. And we're all different when we land in the funnel. We're all different, baggage different, look different, responses different, encounter with God in different places around the world, different preachers, different testimonies, and through time, we all come out the bottom of the funnel looking like Jesus. <laughs> I just think that's the coolest thing in the world, that we start out all so different, but we come out the bottom conforming to the image of Jesus Christ, and that happens through the power of of the Holy Spirit. So it's audible, it's visual, tangible. And now is where the division among religion and Christianity happens. So far, so good. So far, we're okay with the Holy Spirit. But then he's gonna get a little crazy, okay? And he says in first B, uh, first verse 4B, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. They spoke in tongues. Oh, this is where we get crazy. This is where we get confused. This is where we get sideways with each other in the Christian community. They spoke in tongues. Now, let's learn about that. If you want to know what that's talking about, don't turn on a televangelist unless you turn on the Word of God first. What does the Word of God say? What does it say right here? Because Pandora's box is opened about speaking in tongues right here. Now, for the first 1,900 years of Christian history, this was not a big deal. But in 1906, there was a revival in California called the Azusa Street Revival, where apparently the Holy Spirit came in that situation, and they all started speaking in tongues, which is a little bit confusing because if you read the rest of Scripture, Paul said that's not what it's supposed to look like. But that's beside the point. I'm not denying the, that, that revival. I'm not denying that people speak in tongues. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying before we embrace everything or, or throw out everything, let's consider what God has to say about it. So this is the first time that this shows up, that speaking in tongues shows up in the New Testament. Now, the Greek word right here, speaking in tongues, is the word glossé. We get our word glossary, okay? What did they speak, okay? Well, first of all, they spoke a language, not some some ecstatic utterance that nobody knew what it was. That's not what this is. 
emphatically. He leaves no room for questioning about this. What this is, is these Yahoo, Galilean, uneducated rednecks spoke foreign languages. And that's what was so weird about it. They, this went, they, the whole community, everybody that came to Pentecost from all of these different nations, all of these different nationalities with different languages, they are at the Pentecost feast and they hear the same wind or what sounded like a wind coming from this room. And so all of them move in closer to see what's happening. And they spoke in languages. That's ex- they spoke foreign languages that they did not know. I just think that's cool. You know, every time I go on the mission field, whether I go to Kenya or Philippines or Honduras or Brazil or wherever, you know what I pray when I'm on the airplane? God, if you want me to speak their language, I'll speak their language. I'm not ashamed of that. And you know what I feel like God says to me when I say that? You don't even have good English. What? Yo, Hick, why would I give you another language? You butcher that one. And when I was, <laughs> when I was in high school, you had to take a foreign language, I took German. Ich sprechen Sie Deutsch. Ich liebe Sie. It wouldn't take you long to figure out God didn't give me that one either. So what is... In this moment, these Galileans who were considered to be uneducated and ignorant, they articulately communicated in the very slang and the very inflection of the language of the peoples of the world. Why? (laughs) We already talked about it. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. So they would be witnesses to the world. You see, God's... God's not a God of disorder. He's a God of order. He brought into the chaos of nothingness, in the blackness, in the deepness of the abyss of what what he originally whispered out of nothing, and he ordered it into the creation that we know. He came into the disorder of, of my life and your life and the chaos and the calamity of your life. He comes and he brings order to it, and he aligns you with his will and his way. And so he wanted them to be witnesses or martyrs to the point of death telling the story. They were going to be witnesses of the grace of God wrapped in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his son. And so the church is a product of that sacrifice through all of those years. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but let me just say, there's a whole lot of fake Holy Spirit stuff in this world. There's a whole lot of gibberish going on, artificial tongues being spoken, not the Holy Spirit empowerment for witnessing. There's a whole lot of fake gift of healings. Oh, I got some holy water and a, and a, and a sweaty cloth. You rub this on your forehead, you'll be healed of everything. There's a whole bunch of garbage out there. And I'm not talking about just in the Pentecostal churches because there's a whole lot of fake Christians in this church. That's the, we live in a world of artificial and fake And so at the end of the day, I just don't want there to be any, I want everybody in here to believe in Jesus Christ, be born again, have the Spirit come into your life as a deposit and align yourself with the Spirit that's with us and let's walk in the power of the Spirit. And it may or may not look like us speaking in tongues. Quite honestly, if it does, it better look like the Bible, okay? Because the Bible gives us a whole lot of information about what that's supposed to look like. And quite honestly, it doesn't often look like the Bible Describes. So here's the question. Is everybody supposed to speak in tongues? 
No. How do we know? Scripture tells us. If you, if you ever want to just keep re- reading the book, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, you are Christ's body and each of you is a member of it. He says, and God has placed you in the church. He says, first, there are apostles. Second, there are prophets. Third, there's teachers. Then there's miracles and gifts of healings and helps and gifts of leadership. Different kinds of tongues. He says that. He says, not all are apostles, are they? Not all are prophets, are they? Not all are teachers, are they? Not all perform miracles, do they? Not all have gifts of healings, do they? Not all speak in tongues, do they? Not all interpret, do they? But you should be eager for the greater gifts. Now, what's the greater gifts? You ready? The greatest gift that you can ever receive from the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift that you can ever share with the world. Are you ready? It's the language of love. Scripture tells us that. Scripture says now in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophecy and know all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can remove mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. He says, if I give away everything I own and if give over my body in order to boast, but if I do not have love, I receive no benefit. And then we look down in verse eight, and this is where we land today and we're finished. Paul says, love never ends. He goes on and he says, if there are prophecies, they will be set aside. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be set aside. But love never ends. Tell the person next to you, hey, I love you. Tell the person next to you, God loves you more. Never ends. We got a whole lot of people in this world wanting to speak in tongues, wanting to claim some prophetic gift, wanting to claim to have the the gift of miracles and healings. And I'm not judging any of them. That's between them and the Lord. But I'm here to tell you right now, no matter what God chooses to give you in the past or in the future, When he came into your life and the Holy Spirit was giving you as a deposit, (laughs) it was a love deposit. It was a love deposit. And if you want to begin walking in the fullness of the Spirit, it will not begin any other place than through the language of love. You want to experience the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Start loving people better. Start loving God more. Start loving the lost more, being willing to tell them. Start loving the hurting more and and meet their needs. Start speaking the language of love because the language of love never ends. And we're going to stop right there. And we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit next week, okay? So I want you to come back. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to understand something. Before you can ever speak the language of love, you have to receive the language of love. What is the language of love? It's the language that God sent from heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a a physical demonstration of the love of God 
the agape, self-giving love of God, that God would give his very best, his only son, to die on a cross to pay for your sin debt. And it is on this day, maybe you've heard about God, you've expressed interest in God, but you've never surrendered and received the love gift of Jesus Christ. It's my prayer, and I believe it's the goal and the intention of the Holy Spirit today that he's inviting you into its forever family where you can receive his grace gift and exchange your broken sinful condition for the fullness of Jesus Christ and be made right with God and in that moment the Holy Spirit will come into your life and take up residence and you'll be on a journey with Jesus that lasts for eternity Most of us here have received that gift. It's my prayer on this day that you would begin to surrender to the Holy Spirit power. That you'll begin to pursue a life that connects the Holy Spirit deposit in you. And connect it with the Holy Spirit power with you. So that the Holy Spirit power can be upon you. And you'll be great witnesses. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, your son. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who doesn't just seal us and deposit us, but desires to empower us to experience victory in our Christian walk and to lead other people to you along the way. We give you praise. We invite you to fill our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.